This is VLX number 88, Pearl of Great Price. We are in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina. God give you his peace and nomine patri sefiri spiritu santi. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patri sefiri spiritu santi. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so let's look at that first parable, just that first sentence. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, you know, traditional Bible experts might ask obvious questions about this, and I think we modernists kind of chalk this up to just mystery Bible land as if people in the past were kind of doofuses. But there was actually smarter people in the past, and they would basically ask when they look at this sentence, well, would it be ethical for a guy to sneak around in another guy's field, find a treasure, not tell him, and then go and buy it? Now, Father Lapide says he's not bound to point it out to the former owner, but may use his knowledge for his own advantage by buying the field for as much as it's worth by common estimation. And then Father Lapide adds that the hidden treasure has nothing to do with it. A very Jesuit answer, but Father Lapide was a Jesuit. Now, I have a little bit of a different take, and maybe mine's admittedly a little bit more 21st century, because nowadays your average Christian doesn't understand why another Christian might be totally sold out for the gospel as a fool for Christ. So it goes like this. My ethical justification of this hidden treasure parable today kind of goes like this. Imagine a guy named Brian has an oil field but doesn't know it, and he also doesn't know the value of raw oil. Jack knows oil is extremely valuable and wants to buy this field. So Jack goes to Brian and honestly tells him that, yeah, he snuck around his field and found it full of oil and he wants to buy his field for everything he owns. Okay, so Brian forgives Jack for sneaking around his field, but he honestly tells him that he doesn't think a bunch of rotting fossil fuels are worth anything. But hey, he's happy to take all his money if he really wants to purchase this ugly, barren field with whatever this raw oil is. Jack even goes so far as to tell Brian that raw oil is extremely valuable, but nope, Brian just wants his money to, say, retire on the coast. Now, Brian sells the field to Jack, who gives him all his money, now, of course, we all know that Brian will one day regret this when he realizes he could have had a mansion on the coast a hundred times bigger than what he got, especially when he realizes how much money oil is actually worth. 
Of course, it is Jack who is the one who gained much more than he lost, even though he sold everything he had. You see how close this is to the gospel? That anyone who takes the gospel seriously today at face value is not understood. Of course, both parties will one day understand why it was worth everything to be a total sellout for Christ. Or at the very minimum, not everyone will understand why you're giving your whole life for the gospel. But one day at the final judgment, everyone will realize that everything is a dung heap compared to the gospel. In fact, Paul wrote that while he was on earth, that next to knowledge of Jesus Christ, everything in the Greek, I think it's sterkor in Greek, which is, we'll put it in G-rated terms, a dung, a dung hill. We will see that from our point of view of heaven and hell, but the saints like Paul saw this already on earth because they were so overwhelmed with love of Christ. Okay, the next parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Or some other translations call that the pearl of great price, which I named this VLX, VLX 88 after. So we're looking at a lot of different parables here. Father Lapide gives us kind of a flyover to show what Christ was showing us in all of these parables. There's something slightly different in each one. Father Lapide says, Christ in the preceding four parables, namely of the sower, of the seed, of the grain, of the mustard, and of leaven, has declared the nature, power, and efficacy of the gospel, that is, of evangelical preaching and teaching. Now in the two following parables of the treasure and of the pearl, he declares its price, how great it is, that all things are deservedly counted as loss in comparison of it, so says St. John Chrysostom. So notice those first four parables about the power and efficacy of the gospel. Two today is the great price of the gospel. Literally, by this treasure, St. Jerome understands Christ himself and the sacred scriptures. Then Father Lapide adds some words from Pope St. Gregory the Great. Pope St. Gregory the Great said, Wicked spirits like robbers beset our path. He, therefore, who openly carries his treasure in the way desires to be robbed of it. Think of what he means by that is if you brag about your spiritual gifts, gifts, you're bound to get them taken away. Okay, let's look at verse 45 according to Father Lapide. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a merchant seeking good. Syriac, the best pearls, or in Arabic, a good gem. He means the faithful ought to provide themselves with the doctrine and life of the gospel which is the way and the price of the kingdom of heaven, with as great zeal as a merchant seeks for pearls. That's going to be our imaginative way a little bit later, so keep that on the back burner. With as great a zeal as a merchant seeks for pearls. Then Father Lapide has a couple things on verse 46. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, or in Syriac, of a most precious price, went his way and sold all he had and bought it. Father Lapide adds, for as this pearl was beyond all price, so is the gospel. Symbolically, the precious pearl is Christ, also the Blessed Virgin, also the religious state, also charity. St. Augustine says, for charity is a precious pearl, without which nothing can profit thee. Whosoever thou mayst have, if thou hast this alone, it is sufficient for thee. End quote. What a beautiful quote. For charity is a precious pearl, without which nothing can profit thee. Whatsoever thou mayst have, if thou hast this alone, it is sufficient for thee. Also, Father Lapide adds, a precious pearl is the contemplative life, concerning which Christ said of the Magdalene, Mary hath chosen the best part in Luke 10, 42.
Now let's talk a little bit about pearls and gemstones and the book of Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. You know, gemstones in Apocalypse 21, verse 19 to 20, these are also the gemstones of the 12 tribes of Israel. And each of these was on the chestplate of the high priest of the Jewish religion in the Old Testament. Father Lapide compares all of these gemstones and one more to the virtues of Christ based on what these gems in ancient times were associated with. And if you're doing the audio version, it might be worth seeing all these on YouTube a little bit later because these are really beautiful gemstones. Father Lapide says this, Christ is not only a very precious pearl, but he is also the gem of gems. He is a carbuncle, or in the new translation, garnet. He is a garnet because he is the light and fire of the world. He is an emerald because he delights the angels by the verdure of his grace. As a diamond, he is strong and invincible. As a sardis, he produces joy. As a chrysoprase, he heals the leprosy of sin. As a spiritual jasper, he assists the bringing forth of good works. As a barrel, he sharpens the intellect. As a sapphire, he has a celestial color and life. As an amethyst, he resists sleep and drunkenness. As a hyacinth or zircon, he heals all the infirmities of the mind. As a topaz, he sustains the correction of the passions. He is as a sardonyx in brightness and splendor. He is a chrysolite in his golden charity. Hence the foundations of the heavenly Jerusalem are laid with these twelve precious stones, which signify the twelve apostles of Christ. See Apocalypse 21, 19, and 20, and commentary. And the next parable on the net, which we're going to see is called a dragnet, specifically, verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a net cast into the sea and gathering together of all kinds of fishes. Father Lapide gives us another one of these flyovers of all the parables. He says, the two preceding parables, those of the treasure and the precious pearl, denoted the value and dignity of the gospel. This one shows its capaciousness and amplitude that it embraces all nations and people of the world, bad as well as good. Christ proposed the parable with this object, that the apostles and saints should not wonder if among the faithful they beheld some living wickedly, just as in a great kingdom no one is surprised that murderers, thieves, and adulterers are found. The kingdom of heaven is the gospel, that is, gospel preaching and teaching, also the church, since she contains both. For in the church, the true gospel of God is preached, and through it, God reigns in her and leads her to the heavenly kingdom. A dragnet, the Latin word is sagena from the Greek, signifies the kind of net commonly called a drag or trawling net because it sweeps the water or the sea in order to catch the fishes. Properly, this dragnet is the bosom of the net which contains the fish that are caught. Hence, according to the etymologists, sagenein is from guganemon, that is the cavity of the middle of the stomach or the navel, so called because the nerves there are interwoven in the fashion of a fishing net, in the like manner, all the faithful, as it were, received in the maternal bosom of the church, and they are cherished, nourished, and preserved. Sagenein is the Greek right there for dragnet. Most of our translations say net, but it's dragnet. What a great visual. You know, when we actually understand the ancient languages, Sagenein in Greek and Sagena in Latin, we hear Father Lapide says that a dragnet signifies the kind of net, and try to picture this visually, even if you're one of the more apophatic prayer type people. The word Latin, sagena from the Greek, signifies the kind of net commonly called a drag or trawling net because it sweeps the water or the sea in order to catch the fishes. 
Properly, this dragnet is the bosom of the net which contains the fish that are caught. And let's look at the last few verses before we look at the imaginative way of prayer. When it was full, men drew it ashore. So about the net. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, notice containers for the rescued. Bad ones are left on the shore, thrown back into the ocean. I didn't notice that word container until I had read it in the Greek in my own time in prayer and study, ange in the Greek, or spelled in the Latin alphabet, the Greek spelled in the Latin alphabet, A-G-G-E, if you want to write that above there. Now, containers, this whole notion of the angels throwing the saved into containers kind of supports my theory that, yeah, even though there's all kinds of beautiful things on earth, well, earth is closer to hell than heaven. And notice, it's the bad people not rescued, they're not put into containers, where the good ones are rescued and put into containers. But notice, that's the end of time. We do not believe in the rapture. The rapture is an erroneous idea invented in the 19th century. I know there's some non-Catholic listeners, so just realize this came about in the 19th century. You'd think that maybe some Christians for 1,800 years would have found this. This was found or invented in the 19th century by these false false private revelations that came to an ex-Catholic woman relayed to her Protestant pastor. But anyway, my point today is that the angels gather into vessels off this earth the saved. And, you know, many church fathers believe hell is literally in the middle of the earth. I don't know, but I know that our goal on this earth is not to make earth better, but to escape earth intact in grace. Now, yes, of course, we're called to help individual people by the spiritual and material works of mercy, but we're not called to live for this garbage of the progress of humanity or these other Freemasonic principles that have made it into the vocabulary of so many Catholic clergy today. We are called to save souls, not the planet. Sorry, not sorry, as the kids say. Okay, in the last couple of verses, have you understood all these things? Christ asked the apostles of the disciples, and they say to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. And Father Lapide says about this, this is a proverb signifying every kind of food, substance, or goods necessary or useful for sustaining a family. Some of these things are best when new, others when old. Hence the proverb, new honey, old wine. That is, honey is best when fresh, but the old wine is the best. So how do we determine these things? How do we know what we want as we present the gospel to be new and what do we want that is old? Well, it's very simple. The actual apostolic faith cannot change. That has to stay old, but the means can be new. So again, new honey, old wine. New honey, that would be an example of, say, leading a Bible study on YouTube. That's something we want new. Old wine, this is why I always hammer home apostolic Catholicism. Traditional Catholicism is apostolic Catholicism. Old wine, so new honey, new means. Old wine means old deposit of the faith. There can only be one faith. The church fathers knew the Bible best because the water is clearest and coolest next to the source. If you have a chance, you may want to look at my blog. I wrote a blog called A Different Church is a False Church. And the lodestone of Vatican II and the Synod coming up is a quote from Father Eve Congar who said, There is no need to create another church but a different church. (laughs) Well, we all know that another church is a different church and a different church is another church. So that would be an example right there of new wine and old honey. 
using old methods from the 60s and trying to replace the apostolic gospel with a new church. It's just no good. No, we can have new means, but old wine. It has to be the same gospel. Hence, we want the best of new and old, best new methods to preach. As I said before, St. Maximilian Colby used all the best production equipment, but the old wine, this has to be the apostolic gospel, the ancient deposit of the faith that we are teaching. Honey is best when fresh, said Father Lapide, but the oldest wine is the best. And now for the imaginative way of prayer of St. Ignatius. This is just going to come from me, not St. Ignatius. I'm going to ask you to simply walk around the Middle East today, looking into markets with Jesus at your side, and just walk into the jewelry shops everywhere from, say, the open markets in Saudi Arabia to, say, the high-rise jewelry stores in the richest part of Dubai. And then imagine following some pearl buyers around these places. Imagine as you listen to them how specific and how meticulous or careful each of these buyers would be. You know, we hear lines in the gospel like pearl of great price and we just let it go in one ear and out the other. But Father Lapide says the chief and most precious pearl of all from which all virtues and all the saints like pearls are sprung and from which they derive their beauty and their value is Christ himself. For his deity and his humanity is as a pearl hid in a shell. It issued forth of the substance of the virgin and the dew of the Holy Spirit most white through innocence of life. It was exceedingly bright through wisdom spherical through the possession of all perfection, having the weight of conscience, the smoothness of meekness, the price of blessedness. Pliny says the quality of pearls consists in whiteness, size, rotundity, smoothness, and weight. And again, in comparison to that, Father Lapide says it was exceedingly bright through wisdom, spherical through the possession of all perfection, having the weight of conscience, the smoothness of meekness, and the price of blessedness. So keep that analogy on the back burner as you follow these pearl buyers around the Middle East and just notice their passion for a pearl as maybe they get out tools to inspect how white this one is or how big the other one is. Maybe they have laser measures in their pocket uh, or it's rotundity, which is roundness. Is there a machine to test for that? Imagine walking with Christ to the Middle East and just watching the excellence and even obsession among these pearl buyers and sellers. Maybe these are these Muslim oil barons of the Middle East looking for pearls for their wives. Would they discuss among themselves the smoothness and weight as they look for the biggest white pearl in all of Dubai? Imagine the fun and passion in seeking out a treasure for the one you love. Maybe they even have digital scales in their pockets. But as you turn to Christ, without being self-righteous, ask Jesus why so few Christians seek him out with such passion. Ask him what is missing in your life to sell everything, or at least if you can't sell everything, what you need to put ahead of him that's still not. And tell Jesus you love him, and then pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for the grace to follow Jesus as a saint. Please help me to remove anything I have put before this pearl of great price. And then, as you walk through these streets of Dubai or Saudi Arabia, remember, these are the richest countries in the world. There's a lot of poor people there, but there's also the richest people in the world. There are many of the richest people in the world today. And there in the Middle East, very few people know Christ. But those who do have often paid a very high price, especially if they converted from Islam to Christianity. Some have been tortured for Christ, even today. These new Christians know that Jesus is truly the pearl of great price. And I've been told by a Persian that they are even seeing great miracles over there. This is the gospel that is the dragnet that wants everyone. This dragnet wants everyone in it. But so many escape because they don't realize the benefits of knowing Christ here and in heaven. 
by the way, one of the comments on my YouTube channel said there was a handful of Persian Catholics, Catholics in Iran, following this series. So, you know, Jesus and the Catholic Church it is everything that everyone was made for, not just Europeans or mild Christians who should become great Christians or traditional Catholics. This is what everyone, everyone was made for this. Christian, Muslim, atheist, Gothic, Satanist, Buddhist, Hindu, people who identify as something different from which they were born. We can never forget that God himself made each person to be a baptized Christian and that Jesus is the only way to the Father. So walk through these, these streets, maybe the poor man open markets in the Middle East, but then go to these extremely wealthy jewelry shops in Dubai, see these high rises, and hear the passion and the excellence people would espouse for some simple stone. Now, and then compare that, really, for the gift of eternal life. This gift of eternal life that will last trillions of trillions of years in bliss with God. Speak to Jesus as you walk through these streets about how you want a new passion and excellence. Or if you don't want that yet, tell him that you want to want that. And then ask for the graces to follow him more closely at all costs. Please say an hour, Father, for me that I may practice what I preach at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis. Patris et et Spiritus Sancti descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>